First Light. First Light Camo. We uh, rock a lot of their gear a lot of the time. In fact, on a daily basis, I wear an article of First Light clothing, whether it be underwear or one of their uh, their merino wool t-shirts. Great stuff. If you are a whitetail hunter, it's great stuff if you hunt out west. We love it. Their wool is top of the line. Merino wool is the way to go. I'll never wear anything but merino. And they've got the new gray color. Yes. Uh, check that out. It's really sweet. Firstlight.com. Is that Huntwise? <laughs> <laughs> Get uh, it. Another sponsor of this podcast is Huntwise. It's an app that's basically your one-stop shop when you want to do anything with hunting on your phone. Um, it's got social media. It's got mapping software. It has a place to buy gear. Um, it's it's awesome. And actually, this past weekend, Jared and I went to the ATA show and parked downtown. And Jared, you used your HuntWise app in a very creative sure way. Well, how'd you use it? Plotted a spot where the car was parked and then tra- <laughs> tracked the map all the way to the theater. So it'll help you find your tree stand or your parked car. If you want to learn more, go to HuntWise.com. Last but not least, Stierka Optics. Stierka Optics. Do you say Stierka? I say Stierka. Great binoculars, great rifle scopes. Yeah. I'm actually going to be rocking one on my uh, AR build that I have. A little red dot action. Great warranty made in the U.S. Uh, Check them out. StierkaStrong.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Boga Hunting Podcast. Last week, we had uh, Kevin Harlander, and we talked a little bit about starting to plan and get your gear list ready. Listen to last week's episode. We kind of went over through that because it helps prepare for this week's episode. So for those of you not wanting to really deal with public land pressure or the hassle of trying to figure out all the rules, then this is an episode that you guys really are going to want to tune into because this week... We're going to be talking about choosing an outfitter and really everything that goes into the decision process and diving in a little bit on maybe why you want to choose an outfitter over a DIY. So let's follow along and let's strengthen your hunt. All right, Mark Peterson, thanks for joining us again for another episode. Well, happy to be on. As you know, we've been doing a series on kind of some basics of of hunting. We've covered kind of the basics of bows and camouflage, tree stands. This month we're talking about out-of-state hunts. We've covered things uh, with with First Light and and, uh, Josh from Dialed In Hunter about, Mm -hmm. you know, gear and things like that. And we're we're right now kind of up to a spot where we wanted to talk about going out-of-state and picking a guide, um, an outfitter to, to work with. But before we jump into that... Jared, I got to hear from you. I, I literally just, Jared, we had to push this podcast back a little bit because Jared's been in the field a little busy today out hunting predators. Yeah, so I was doing a little bit of predator hunting for the first time in a collaboration with HuntWise. We went up around Greenville area this morning. I want to just say right now, and I hope Matt listens to this. I already <laughs> gave him a hard time. Matt is uh, one of the guys that does kind of some of the film and photography for HuntWise. Texted just Jared to go. And I'm wondering why he didn't call you. Why didn't why he didn't call me? Well, I am, I am the better. I'm one. gonna kick his ass. I think that's what. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, you're in Greenville. Yeah. So, um, we partnered up with a guy. His name's Bobby. I didn't get his last name, but Bobby. Yeah, he does a lot of. Dang it, Bobby. Does a lot of predator hunting up north and in the UP. Does some trapping, and he's actually a a DNR officer for 30 years. So it was really yeah, it was really fun to pick his brain on a lot of different stuff. But, yeah, we had three different properties that we hunted this morning and then went down south to a lease that I have uh, permission to hunt on down there. And we saw about, I think, just one. So you went up to Greenville, got met him, mm-hmm. and then went down? 
Yeah, and then we went down. That's a long day. It was a it was a long day, and I mean, he really said that one in ten sits you'll see a coyote. So we were about forty percent there. So <laughs> whatever. So you you didn't see you didn't see a thing. <laughs> nope, didn't see anything. But I had a great time. Learned a lot. And what'd you learn? Uh, to play the win mainly. All right. Right. Obviously, with any other game animal, you got to play the wind. And then weather can have a big effect on it. They yeah. really like cold weather and fresh snow. Mm. So that if there's fresh snow out there, they can sneak around a little bit better. And then they can go into the fields and find the, the rodents maybe digging around in there. Right. Mark, what should he have done to, to be actually successful other than bring me? And predator hunting? Yeah. yeah Michigan, Michigan is tough. I've been fortunate enough to, to predator hunt and call coyotes all over. Yeah. Michigan's just one that it's the properties are so chopped up and call it smaller than it is out west. Mm-hmm. Is they just see a lot more people and they're just used right. to a lot more people. Like you go out west and you can start setting up and, and they're just miles and miles from the nearest house. And those coyotes just you hit that collar and you can tell they've never been called to before right. or generally just don't see people. The best spot if you're looking to go crazy on coyotes. Sonora, Mexico. Really? Hmm. Of all of all places, it is insane with coyotes down there. Really? They're probably yep. never hunted down there. Yeah, the only time they're hunted down there usually is out of a high rack when guys are mule deer hunting and they see one. Ah, right. Depending on the ranch, there are some guys. The pr- the problem is, is that you can't bring the hides back oh. from Mexico into the U.S. Yep. So guys don't go down there just to call. But I know like Fox Pro and some of those companies have gone down there to do video shoots before. Yeah. And these properties haven't. I haven't had a collar on them before, and it, it is insane. So they just come rolling in. Oh, yeah. And it's multiples on a set. You're not just looking for one. You're getting two to three coming in on the same set. Now, I, now go I ahead. feel like the pelt, though, is like your trophy. You yeah, know what right. I mean? I mean, it is. Yeah. yeah. And Bobby, the guy we went with, yeah. had a whole tote of coyote hides. Yeah. He had a bobcat hide. Really? And two wolf hides. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's so cool. Those, those are really fun to get your hands on so and check I, out. I actually, that's a good question. That's a so, a thing that I'm dealing with, right? So I went, I went the other day out raccoon hunting with a spotlight mm-hmm. and, and did some running around with with my dog. Got a raccoon, and I got to figure out how to skin it and fl- flesh it. I guess myself. Sure. You want to do that tonight, Jared? No, you don't. No, you might. You just watch some YouTube, man. I did, but it's like <laughs> the scraping, and it seems like a real pain. Do you do a lot of that, Mark? I do a handful of it. I have to say, I've never skinned a raccoon before, though. It can't be. It's got to be like a small bear. That's that's what I yeah. <laughs> what I was thinking. Uh, so, anyways, what we wanted to talk about tonight was going out of state, picking an outfitter, maybe even picking an out- outfitter in your own state for mm-hmm. someone who hasn't picked it before. How, how do you start? Go- how do you go about doing that? Say you say you're 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 locked in on doing like a whitetail hunt. Where where should you start? Uh, where, where should somebody? And like we, me and Jared would fall into this category. We've never hunted with any outfitters mm-hmm. i don't think before not for especially for deer at least right and this is a this will be a long-winded answer because there's no there's no short way to it right. sure when you when you start looking at an outfit there are lots of things that go into it and i'm going to kind of break you down how we would look at it at worldwide trophy adventures yeah we're going to take a lot of what you imagine of what you want to do mm-hmm. in the hunt we're going to listen to that and then we're going to break it down like if you're looking for a whitetail, I'm, I'll, I'll ask you guys. You can, we'll go right yeah. through a, a consultation with you guys Great. on this. And then I'll bring in parts of where people can get misled and so forth. Right. So you guys, we're looking at a whitetail hunt. Yep. Do you guys have a, a state in mind that you would like to go to? An ideal, ideal you've been thinking about it for, for five years, want to pull the trigger because of X. I got one in mind, but I want to know what you have to think. say, Jared. I was going to say Nebraska. Nebraska? Yeah, I'm Ugh. going Cornhuskers. Really? Yep. That's not that okay. You know, 
Hey, <laughs> you asked me. What's your I, choice? Yeah, maybe do better. All right. No, I, actually, Nebraska is <laughs> great. Nebraska is great. No, I was thinking South Dakota. Okay. But Nebraska, let's go with Nebraska. Man, both of you guys threw curveballs because ninety percent of the people that say Kansas or Iowa. Well, yeah, I, yeah. Way too. Right. So, so we can break down Nebraska and South Dakota. Okay. So it looks it looks like, and and obviously you guys are going to use a bow. Right. But the feel is you guys want to do a semi spot and stalk whitetail hunt yep. versus a stand hunt because the, the areas you guys pick, you can do traditional stand hunts, but there are also a lot of plains. Like you do a lot of spot and stalk. Obviously more difficult, but both your guys' selection is not the traditional. Yeah, that's that's our, place. That's kind of our, well, our style. Welcome. Yeah. Hey, we think alike, kind of. So, so you guys are looking for a spot and stalk whitetail hunt. Yep. You actually picked the two best states that probably are for it. So next, nice. here, here's the tricky part that that everybody gets hung up on. What is your price range that you're looking for? And when, I, and when I say that, because they're, they're varying degrees. So yep. we ask what, what your budget is because there are different lodge choices they're different leases. So when, when you when you break down outfitters, yeah, you break down how good they are as an outfitter by the accommodations, the guides, the hunting area, yeah. and so forth, all those vary. So I can send you to a five star lodge right. that's over the top with a bar, you get your own room, your own bathroom, yeah. personal guide. I mean, all the bells and whistles through the whole thing. Obviously it's gonna cost a lot more than right. if you go and stay in a smaller lodge, probably to where there are eight to 10 guys in there at a time, yeah. you're sharing a bedroom with somebody and so forth. But don't let that be a varying factor on success sure. or trophy or mm-hmm. trophy potential. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. Some guys just want the top accommodations that they can go for and the best hunting. Right. So that breaks you into a different category. So shoot, what's have you guys thought about budget? Yeah. So the and way, also, and also time restraints, the way I would see this, and I don't. I'll, how about I answer and you answer, Jared? Send it. I almost would prefer not the nicest. I don't know. It just feels weird to me. I, I like it, even if I don't if, know, if, were, if I could spend a week in a tent or a teepee, I'd prefer that over over, over lodging. lodging. Oh yeah, every every time. I want it to kind of be a little bit difficult and like hard, like the, all of your the whole week, yep. even if you're at camp. Let's difficult. go that route. I agree. You like that too? Yep. Let's go that route. We don't, yeah. we don't need anybody putting on airs. Perfect. And timing wise. You guys want to be there right as close to the rut as possible? Yeah, I love the sure. get a, a good yeah, ready yeah, yeah. buck. All right, so we're looking November-ish in both areas. So now it kind of comes down. So we've got good lo- we've got good outfitters in both. Yep. If you're looking for a sweet spot, we've yep. got one in Nebraska. It's nice accommodations, mm-hmm. not the best. It's going to be double accommodations, one bathroom per two. Yeah. And it's going to be four thousand. Okay. Is what it is for a okay. five-day hunt. That's what I was. Yeah, that's, that's about the number range I was. Yeah, kind of expecting yeah. for that. So how how we do it on archery because archery guys are there's a lot more that goes into an outfitted archery hunt than a rifle hunt. So especially when you when the areas that you guys pick, the majority of whitetail hunts are done out there. Especially when you're spot and stalking, it's one on one. So you have got one guide per hunter. Mm-hmm. With a rifle, with a rifle, that's that's pretty it's not easier, but it, right. it's a lot more simple because you're with the hunter side by side. Yep. And just they're bigger deer out there. They're bigger bodied. They look different. Yeah. And you get to stare at them a long time in the open. When right. you get a chance to stare at anything in the open for a long time, especially if you're from Michigan, everything looks a lot bigger. <laughs> right. Like, ah. <laughs> yeah. But with a with a bow, there's a the success rates obviously go down. Yeah. And obviously with with spot and stalk, 
they go down even lower just because there's a lot more that you have to do to be able to get close to that deer. Right. Success rates on spot and stock stuff, you're looking at like, even with the best outfitters, 35% is really good. Archery, what I tell everybody, if you need an archery place that's 65% success, that's phenomenal. Interesting. Now, there are lots of places, there are lots of outfitters that will tell you what you want to hear. And this kind of goes back into making sure you select the right outfitter. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's a, I'll go through a couple of bad ways okay. to select an outfitter. I scroll on Instagram and I look at an outfitter and he shot four big deer. <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Look at those guys. They're so stoked. I want to go there. Right. What you don't know is that outfitter probably ran through 300 guys on the backside to put out four good deer. Right. And you don't know if he's got good leases. Like, what's what's the background? So there are different ways to do this. Say, okay, I'm going to go to the show. I'm going to go to a show so I can actually meet the outfitter. That's better than just choosing off social media or website. You're you're making a step closer because you're actually talking to the guy. Meeting him face-to-face. You're meeting him face-to-face. So here I'm, I'm at the show and I'm talking to an outfitter. I got, let's break it down. I got one from Nebraska on my left and I got yep. one from South Dakota on my right. That guy from Nebraska is there to sell. He is selling you his whitetail hunt and saying it is the best that there sure. is anywhere. So I turn and I go to South Dakota and South Dakota is like, wait a second. I got the best whitetail hunt. <laughs> right. And you know what? Success rates kind of vary. Like we're, I'm going to round up always. Right, of both course. Rounding up. Both I'm in sales. I know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. you're always both, round up. Both, both guys are selling you that they have the best. So what we do at WTA is we take all this information and we break it down. We've got about 500 outfitters we work with around the world. We cover every state, what I say is every nook and cranny that you would ever want to. Yeah. And we take all this information and we break it down. And then we give you, after listening to everything, we'll give you three options. Interesting. Like here, here are the best three based off what you're thinking let us know what you think. You get to click on pictures. You'll look at lodge. You'll look at past success, not only of clients that they've had, but we'll also show you clients that we have sent in there. Oh, Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And here's a here's the cool thing I like I like to tell everybody. It takes a second for for this kind of kick in. So if I'm an outfitter mm-hmm. and say I'm gonna I'm gonna use round numbers. I run 50 guys a year for whitetail. Yeah. I run I run 50. If I've got a new booking. Compared to if I've got somebody that's been in camp five years, yeah. which guy, if I'm looking at trail camps, because all good outfitters run trail camps, right. mm-hmm. that's the only, only way to be successful. Like our the outfit that I have in Kentucky and Saskatchewan, we run over 200 trail camps at each location. Wow. We run about <laughs> twice the number of trail cams that we do of total hunters in each spot. Reason being, you got to play the wind. You got to know the physical abilities of the hunters that you have coming into camp and yep. what their capabilities are. So at each spot, our guides always go out and watch the hunter. If he's shooting a bow, we watch him shoot. If he's shooting a rifle, same thing. We watch him shoot. Watch the, the personality. How can he move? Where is he going to sit? You get a beefcake dead eye here in Jared. You know, he's. So we're going to keep him on the ground because we don't want him to, to ruin any trees. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've no, been known so to break you, a few you, limbs. You break, you break down the clients. But, but anyway, back, back to the story. So yep. you got a guy that's been here five years. He's consistent. Like he's already rebooked for next year. Right. Or you got a guy that's coming in fresh off the street that you booked at a show. Right. I got a deer that's coming in regular that's 160. Which which guy do you think as the outfitters going to get put in there? Yeah, the, the guy that's been, yeah the guy yeah. that's been five years and he's going to come year six. But he's pretty well locked in. Right. So what you get with WTA is we handle a great deal of the bookings for the outfitters. So right. what that means is when you come in as a WTA client, even though it's your first time in this camp. Yeah. That outfitter doesn't look at, at you as going, oh, 
it's your first time in my camp. No, he looks at going, oh, WTA sends me a lot of guys. I got to make sure to keep Treat them WTA. Well. I got to make sure they're happy because I want them to send more guys. Right. And us at, us at WTA, we want you to go there and have an awesome time. The best thing for us is if you have such a good time, you want to rebook for the next year. Right. But there's some guys that like to try, like myself, I love to try new places and new experiences. Right. So for me to, for me to book somewhere a second time, like it's, it's either got to have a, another species or another type of hunt, or it's just got to be crazy good because I've got a list of 500 other places that I want to go in the world while I can still walk. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta keep clicking them off. Right. As a guy that wants to do that, knowing I'm going to go elk hunting this year, I'm going to go mule deer hunting next year. I'm going to go moose hunting like that guy. That's perfect. Cause you know, you're only going in that camp one time yeah. and your best chance of success because the outfitter knows you're going in one time is if you book through us, because we've got a number of guys that are going to go after you. And we've had a number of guys that have went before you. So you're building up that kind of credit, those cred, that cred, that street cred. That cred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't do us any good if we send the wrong client to the wrong outfitter. Each out, each outfitter is a, it's a, it's a human. So everybody right. has their own personality. Like there's some outfitters that are just lean and mean. Like they they talk very little and they just are straight business. Yeah. Well, that's not the guy you want to send Chatty Cathy to. Like you, the guy you <laughs> talked on the phone for two hours, you're like, this guy hasn't been quiet the whole time. I'm not sending them up here. I'm going to send them to this other guy that's got a different personality because yeah. they're going to get along better. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, of it, sense. There's a lot of mixing and matching that goes into that. I mean, dollars and cents, obviously – for us is number one because everybody's worked really hard to be able to have this expendable income to be able to go and mm-hmm. have an experience like this. So this is their vacation, especially if they're, if they have a family, they're traveling without the family and spending that, like it's up to us to make sure that they have the time of their life wherever they go. Yeah. And we, and we have, so our outfitters all been verified, been in the field with them. Our consultants have seen them, but it's that year in year out that we have clients come to them. Our clients send us the after trip report. So we know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And just like anybody Things can happen. Outfitters are married. If they go through a divorce, that's going to affect their operation. Like that's, that's one of our top things is when we hear an outfitter is going through a divorce, man, we're, we're all hands on deck on that one to make sure everything's going to run right. Oh, wow. We're following yeah, that's crazy. Up. Like, like you, you don't think about that, but in our, but just in today's world, that's the number one thing because most of the time an outfitter, he runs the field and his wife usually runs the books, the communication, the grabbing of the license. That, that, it's a mom and pop world for the majority of it. Yeah. You know, cause you're, and you know, you see that a lot where it's a guy and his wife, she's cooking and mm-hmm. he's, he's bringing them out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So based on what you know about us, you've kind of got a, an area locked in and, and you've got, you said you have like three different recommendations for us. How, yeah. Yeah. How, so, so I break this down with the guys and we'd, we'd send you three and I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. The three I'm going to send you, they mm-hmm. have spot in stock, but they also have a stand. In case like, you're it's, winded. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not one. Well, it's, it's, it's because it's the first time. I remember the first time I ever went spot and stock hunting with a bow. Yeah. I thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> right. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Like, out, there's not a single, like, of the areas you're hunting, there's hardly any trees. You're just in a field. Right. And you're like, all right. Four hours later, you've covered 100 yards and you got 300 more to go, and you're like, "Well, this was an awful idea. I don't know what I'm doing." <laughs> I like, made a mistake because you're just you're too still. So what what I would do with you guys is get you in a best position to say, "All right, you've got the chance. Like that's what you want to do." And if I, if you're going after day three and having a ball and be like, "I want to keep doing this," go for it. But on day three, if you're like, "Man, you know what? I just want to take a day. I want to think about it." Guys, gonna be like, "All right, let's get you in a stand today." We've got, we've got these couple of deers coming by. Yeah. Like, let's sit in the stand today to think about it. But, again, that's just putting you guys 
to have another option in the field. Yeah. Now we've got we've got like what I call mule deer freaks. We've got some of these guys that generally from Utah, but <laughs> man, we got some guys that that hunt mule deer. And when I say they hunt mule deer, they hunt mule deer for like a hundred to hundred and ten days a year. Yeah. And they're with a bow, with a rifle, with a muzzle, and they just do it. Like some of these guys, we'll send down to Nevada and we'll work out deals with them where they're down there for like 15, 18 days Jeez, with it, wow. just spot and stalk with their bow. Like those guys are just on a different skill level because they've done it so far right. and so long. Like those guys, we, we know, like if we got a really good outfitter. He's got a tough hunt for a, like a seasoned guy. Like the outfitter knows it too. Like you can't put anybody in this area that doesn't have any experience. We'll work and get somebody like that in there. Now, you mentioned the differentiating between bow and like rifle. Is there any differentiate? So I shoot long uh, recurve. Jared mm-hmm. shoots a, a compound. compound. Is there going to be even further kind of narrowing down based on something like that too? Because my my range is a lot different than his. Yeah. So out west, and this is coming from the coming from Michigan. This is what shocked me the most about bringing my bow out west. You know, in Michigan, you're sitting in a tree stand, you're clunking at 30, 35 yards. You're like, man. I'm hitting the end of the world here. Right. I mean, right. it is out there. <laughs> you go you go out west and you start hunting out there. Guys are guys are sighting their bows in at like 80 and 100 yards. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> very different. Very, very, very different. How far do you feel comfortable with a recurve? I am comfortable probably to 40 yards. Hunting situation, that's if it's like perfect conditions. Mm-hmm. So and 30. I might get crap for that. Like 30 and re- like regularly, 40 if things are perfect. And, and with that, so here's the thing. Like, if you choose and want to go with the recurve, knowing you've got a distance of 30, best-case scenario, like a, a stop elk at 40 yards, mm-hmm. yeah. if you if you know that going into it, and the outfitter knows that too, it's the same thing as somebody wanting to use a flint-lock muzzleloader, which, right. which we've got guys that do. Like, guys want to do crazy stuff. They want to use handguns. Like, this is all. You know it going into it that that just steps down your success rate. Exactly. We're going to we're going to put you in a situation that's the best for what you're doing. Yeah. Like I, like I always refer to, it's the same thing. Like if you're using a rifle and a guy and you're going to an area, we've got say an antelope hunt. Like you can hunt a lot of different types of antelope. Some of the spot and stock antelope hunts out West, just the terrain is it's going to lead you to a three to 400 yard shot. Right. Like you're not setting up over water. It's just, there's certain areas that, you know what, you can, you can spend a long time to get in, but if you can shoot three to 400 yards and get set up like that, it's just clockwork. Like day one, it, it, that's what it is. Right. It all comes back to that guy with the rifle. Has he practiced? Yeah. Yeah. So just because you have a rifle and you go out there, like there's a, there's a big difference. Like if you practice and practice and practice, one of those things, if you're in shape and you practice, you're just setting yourself up for success in the field. Same thing with the recurve. You're, you're down, but there's certain guys that shoot, compound bows that you know what i've seen them shoot and they're pretty shaky out there right and and they would go and say well i've got a, a compound bow and i'm like yeah but he shoots 10 times a week right. i'm like yeah so there, there's a big difference when you break that down too do do people lie are people <laughs> like, like yeah, yeah my range is in the, in the hunting industry do people lie no <laughs> nah nah so yes that and that is the reason that the outfitters that we own personally when a new client hits the camp we want to physically see them shoot we don't want to hear the story of oh, i just put my gun in the gun case i was shooting 500 yards before i left right right that, that's not good enough for us so if we're going to spend the time and the effort to do it with the client and it comes down to one moment on the afternoon of day five 
I want to make sure that the dude can shoot what he says he can shoot. Right. And that's the same thing our guides do. Like we, we run one of the largest outfits in Saskatchewan. We got five different camps that you can hunt out of up there. Mm-hmm. Run 75 guys. And it's a cool one because you're not hunting within two to two and a half miles of the nearest human. So think about that that's really in cool. Saskatchewan. You're, you're a long ways away. Yeah. So I, I, say, I say 75 guys over a seven-week period spread across five camps. So it's not as many as it originally sounds and you're right. spread so far. In Saskatchewan, you're truly hunting undisturbed deer. That's for like cool. you'll catch you'll you'll catch a six-year-old deer cruising at twelve thirty in the afternoon. Yeah, because there's there are no people that bump him. So what we do up there is we set our stands really close because it's thick and you got to be ready at any time. And we don't like guys making long shots up there, so we set our stands generally like the longest you'll shoot is 120 yards. Okay, but we've got some we've got some stands that are like 65. One wind direction, we're going to get you in there. We know which way the deer's coming. The wind's predominantly out of this way. We're going to put you in there. So when we get there, we've got guides. It's a simple. You go right behind the lodge. There's a bench, a 100-yard target. The guys will sit there. The guy will shoot, look. You can tell right away with how he how he feels up on that gun if he's seasoned or if he, he yeah, goes just shoots a couple times. Like, yeah. The guys, the guys that are seasoned, they just sit there. They they don't mess around. They load it real quick. They, they get comfortable. And you can tell by their stance, like, this guy's going to knock it out. Bam. That, and get that guy out of it. Yeah, but right. somebody else, you can tell, and he's bringing the gun out, and you're like, oh, man. Instantly. No, 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 no. Your bullet's backwards. That, he scopes that, himself that, for a shot. Yeah. <laughs> and you look, you look at the gun, and he's like, no, I shoot all the time. You look at the gun, it's brand spanking new, and you're like, yeah. I think you maybe over. You want to see some scratches on the, the you missed uh, stock a, tag. a little bit. Oh, there's yeah. a tag on the button. <laughs> That's right. There's a reason that we have multiple guns in each of our own camps that hunters can use. Okay. Because you, you knowing how much you guys go through gear, you'll you'll get a kick out of this. We have every year we have a number of guys that show up in the camp that have gear they've never used before. Oh, and you're like, oh, okay. You always hear the story about a guy with boots. You know what? Oh, it's just yeah. Catchwater. In Saskatchewan, <laughs> if you never used your boots before, it really doesn't matter. Right, you're your not longest, walking too your, far. Your longest walk is 250 yards. Okay. That's that's your longest walk. Now, if you show up on a sheep hunt, you show up on our at our place in the Yukon with some new boots, man, you're going to feel that after the first two hours. <laughs> you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah, that's you're right. you're going to have a bad time. But we, we have guys that will show up in camp with a new gun that they personally have never shot. Mm. And we've had, we've had, like, yes, I, my buddy, I just got this. He said it's dialed in. You took your buddy's word that said his gun's dialed in. You booked a $6,500 hunt, and that's what you rolled in with? That's a bold move. Bold move, bo- sir. So, th- so then we go and have him shoot, and it's like, okay, it's off a foot and a half left at 100 yards. You're like, and th- everybody always says, no, I'm good. Like <laughs> one, out of ten, one, one out of ten guys will say, yeah, I'd like to shoot. Because when you go into camp, it's one of those things. Everybody usually shoots at the same time. Like there's a greeting in camp. Like everybody shows up generally at the same time. You're unloading all your gear. Usually it's, all right, guys, let's grab our stuff. Let's head out to the range and shoot. We've got about an hour and a half till hors d'oeuvres or dinner already. So you're like, all right, you got an hour to shoot. Then you get back, got a half an hour, get ready, go to dinner. So it's kind of the timing. So everybody usually goes out together. Yeah. Now it's all of a sudden I got pressure because I'm not only shooting for myself, I've got seven strangers that I don't know that all look like they hunt all the time right. staring at me. A little bit of pressure there. Yep. Yep. A little bit of pressure. You got you do generally have rifles in camp or for say say for a rifle hunt? I'm gonna say ninety nine percent of outfitters generally have a camp gun. Yeah. The outfitters that we individually so we book for about five hundred outfitters around the world. I personally own nine spread between Canada, US and Mexico. Okay. In each of our camps I'm 
I'm going to say this. I'm pretty blessed because my, my rifle partnership that I have is with Gunworks. Yeah. That's so sweet. we, we have Gunworks rifles in all of our camps, which are, I'm sorry, they're the best. Yeah. We're partnered, we're partnered with Benelli on shotguns. So like our place is Saskatchewan, <laughs> the, the camp shotguns are Benelli's. Yeah. Our bow sponsor or partner is Matthews. Yeah. So I'm like, we, we literally have, like, if you're like, man, I, something happened. Cause bow hunting is one of those things, especially when big deer happen. Like I, we've got, uh, I'm going to be biased. We've got the best spot that you can possibly hunt in Kentucky for white-tailed deer. Like in Kentucky's yep. very cool because the season starts so early. You can hunt velvet deer, free range velvet deer. Yeah. It's totally which cool. most of the, so in, in the East mentality versus like, you can do the same thing in South Dakota except everything's so spread, it's really tough to get a pattern. Right. In Kentucky, in Kentucky, it's just like Michigan. They're, they're like that first five days when they're in velvet, they're like clockwork. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, that, that late summer is just, yeah. But here, but the thing is, like, you got, we have to have a number of leases because they're all in bachelor groups. Like, right. we had George who runs it down there. Like, last year, we had one of our biggest deer. It was a mid-180s deer, and he was running in a bachelor group with three 160s holy cow Jeez. we we can only put one hunter on that group right so <laughs> we've got we've got four shooters in one group but we can only put one hunter there and then trying to tell that guy that there's a 180 but they're also three 160s so <laughs> so you get got i mean there's just a lot going when you're in the stand and you get something you can pull it back and and you can have something in your cam and all of a sudden your cam slips yeah oh and it and it's a Saturday night, and you're like, oh, where am I going to get that's open on Sunday so I can get my bow fixed? Right. We've we've got spare stuff in camp. Obviously, it's not tuned for you. It's not set up like bow's a lot more difficult than rifle. Right. Like rifle, something happens. We've got a gun that's sitting there. Ideally, that's probably better than the one that you're using. Well, and you know that's why I I tried not to have cams on my bow. You know. You, I don't have to do just make it easy. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't want slippage or anything <laughs> like that. Up. You just put a new string on there. You're fine. I was uh, two years ago. I was uh, hunting elk with a friend in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Giant bull, giant bull. And when you do it, you've got to do a lot of crawling. Right. So he, you're, we're crawling with our bow. I back up. He moves in, and we're watching from a distance. And everything looks different from a distance. You're a half mile away looking through the spot scope. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's right on top of him. Here he comes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like. You can see he goes to pull his bow back, and all of a sudden the elk runs off, and you look through the spider scope, like, oh, he's not happy at all. <laughs> <laughs> Comes back, he he was went to pull back on this big bull at like sixty yards, and he had picked up a twig or something in his cam. Oh yeah. And when when he went up and he was drawing at the same time he went up, it just popped his cam. Oh. Like it happens, especially we were both from the east, like. Now, like you're paranoid, it happened to somebody that you know you that's ingrained, so you learn that now. Yeah, like you think about when it. When I, lot. when I, you, you think about it now. Now I'm checking both cams, but when you're when you're bow hunting in Michigan in a stand and you've cleaned your own area around your stand, you know there's nothing there that's going to mess up your cam. Right. It's one thing you don't think about, but when you go out west and all of a sudden you're crawling with your bow, you gotta you gotta look and see like your sight can get loose from crawling. Like there's yeah. a whole bunch of other things that just add to it that you learn as you go out there. Yeah, you got it, and you're just you're not like you said. You're not prepped. You haven't prepped yeah. your spot ahead of time. You're just kind of going out. You're you're going you're going at it like wherever the especially elk hunting wherever that elk ends up like wherever you try to get set up and that elk kind of moves. You're you're never in an ideal spot. It's like right. you're never just in a natural ground blind. Exactly. You're always like um, leaning a little bit right. So when he comes here, I got to edge forward just a little bit on the draw or you're a little off kilter. Like yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. 
with like when before you guys would go out west, like the thing that I can say, like after I went out there one time, I learned I'm like, okay, I I need to get better before I go back out. Right. Everything I learned, I'm taking and I'm digesting. Like when I went to pull back on my first elk, what was I doing? I was out of breath. My heart rate was all over the place. I didn't check my surrounding. I had a bull that came screaming at 12 yards. I let the air go, and I hit a tree that was six yards away. <laughs> right. I, like, there's a, there's a bull. It's a six-by-five bull at 12 yards, and I'm going to tell you I'm going to miss that? No. I, I Like, when I'm sitting here practicing, that happens. Like, I make that shot 100 out of 100 times. Exactly. In the, in the field. So what was it? My heart rate was going because this bull was screaming, and I've never been that close to a screaming bull before. Right. And that basically ruined everything because it just took me and i i completely lost control of everything i normally do when i'm just sitting at my house flinging arrows so what i do when i got back here and i was at i was at an ad angle off my knee okay when i was back here yeah i would do some like okay on my knee doing some odd angle stuff like just having more fun with anything when you shoot your bow so what i get i got to get my heart rate up and I got to learn to draw my bow back with a crazy heart rate. Little wind so sprint. I'd grab a backpack. Oh, yeah. I'd start running around, come back, tell myself I, I'd set a timer and tell myself I'd have 20 seconds. Then I'd have 15. Then I'd have 10. I got to control the heart rate. And you start going through that mental checklist of, yeah. I got to check my bow as I raise up. And you do this stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling really good right here. Yeah. Like, I, I, I've improved. I've started doing different shot angles, ones I never thought I'd do in my life. Practice everything because you never know mm-hmm. what's going to happen in the field. The more comfortable you are, the, the greater success you'll have in the field. Yeah, that, practicing the different shot scenarios like you just mentioned, so having your heart rate up mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. not in that perfect positioning where you're perfectly angled Square, to the target. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, feet are set. Mm-hmm. No, like try peering around a tree on your knee. Well, we do that. We did that a lot this year, stump shooting. Yeah. You know, just kind of like walking through the woods with, with recurves and just – Different angles, different types of targets, and just mm-hmm. shooting and, and losing arrows. Yeah, I mean, you could do that yeah, on, on, like, outdoor 3D courses, too, yep. in the area, if, or if, you're, if there's one around you. Like, don't just do your normal run-of-the-mill squared-up shot standing yeah. up, you know? We run. We used to – remember we do races? Yeah, we would run, actually, to every every target. If no one was on the course, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Uh, no, just, and, that, and that's one of the best ways to do because you've got your heart rate accelerated. Yep. It's, yeah. tough, it's tough to assimilate, like – I'm 36. I've been hunting ever since I had six or eight. I don't even remember. Right. So I've been hunting over 30 years. I still get buck fever here in Michigan. Like oh, I, yeah. I, hunt, I hunt all over the world. I still get buck fever here when I see, when I see a buck with my kids. Like right. that, if, if I, I always tell myself, if I lose that feeling, you're done. It's probably time to, it's probably time to find something else. Yeah. I feel like I get I more get, nervous with my kid, with my daughter. Oh, with, me. with the kid. No, with the kids, it's all over. Like, so, all right, so I'm going <laughs> to tell you my first, my first time I took my daughter hunting was in was at our place in Kentucky. Yeah. So the, the lot it was it was opening day of rifle season in Kentucky. The lodge was full, so I'm not I'm not bringing her to a lodge full of guys. So we stayed at the hotel, went to eat at the lodge, went to the hotel. Like it was it was really cool. Yeah. First morning we get set up and it is ideal weather. It's rut. We're on a farm that's loaded, and it was one of those things. Like I was talking to George. I'm like George. We're from Michigan. She's six. All right. My daughter was six at the time. I'm like, let's not high expectations here. Like they're very low, like shooting off my lap. He's like, I got the farm. It's it's just like, he's like, it's just loaded with one thirty. Like they're just 130 inch deer all over. I'm like, that's perfect. perfect. We're going to need, we're going to need lots of opportunities because we're going to mess up. And we're going to do all this. So he was right. It was loaded with one thirty. Like first 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Boom. First one pops out, but it's a rut and they're moving. They're and, I've yep. and I've got a six year old. 
I'm like, every time we ever shot, it was we had the world of time to get ready. Right. So I'm like, huh, get the earmuffs on her because I'm not letting her shoot without earmuffs on. <laughs> right. Get her on my lap. Move it over. Look up. Deer's gone. Son of a. All right. <laughs> we're all right. we're going to get better. We're going to get better. We're going to leave the headphones on. I've got the gun set on my left shoulder, so you're going to slide on my right because it's impossible. You can't sit on my lap all day. Like, right. <laughs> at first, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, just sit on my lap. 15 minutes later, I'm like, okay, you can't Your sit on my lap. Your legs are asleep. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I can't feel so, so we, we speed up the process. Like you learn as you go. Right. So it was a little bit, a little bit after lunch, like I give her credit, six years old, she's going to sit all day. No, she's got her iPad. So it's a little give and take. It right. is what it mm-hmm. is. So to sit, to sit a six year old all day, I'll, I'll basically do whatever. I can't even sit a Jer- uh, Jared. Six all day, <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> so right after lunch, look at a distance, same thing. Like you can tell this, this big light colored rack at a distance coming towards us, get her set up, get everything ready. Like all this deer's got to do is just keep coming. Right. Deer, deer turns and goes away. You can just see her heart just sink. You're like Ugh. ah, like it was it was there. Like I probably could have made that shot, but a six year old's not. Right. 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 But we got it down. Like after that, we got the system down. Like we we know what to do. Yeah. All right. And I, and we're filming this one too, so we got a cam we got a camera guy in the back. It's Jeez. it's a tight blind. Make it to just add to everything. A lot of moving parts. Three people making noise. My camera guy was loud. Like, I think he was probably louder than my six-year-old. But there's a lot. <laughs> that, that, that happens. So, yeah, we know that so going, going into that, going into that night, and, and by the time she had sat all day, she's like, Dad, can we just hunt in the morning tomorrow? And I'm like, ah, we drove right. all this way. And you're like, but I understand. I'm like, oh, we'll talk about it afterwards, kiddo. We've got an hour left. Then all of a sudden, a doe comes out, and you're like, oh, there's something chasing the doe because the course. doe is looking back. Yep. I get her ready. I get her set up on it. And she's shooting a 6XC, which is like a 6.5 Creedmoor. Yep. With a muzzle brake on it, it shoots like a 22. Right. Which is what I was going for. Light caliber. Really easy. Hit it in the right yep. spot. Yep. In the back of my head, I'm like, it's going to be a broadside shot. We're not going to do any face shots like or any, any face forward shots. It's going to be just broadside. And she's, yep. she's consistent, was consistent at age six of hitting a three-inch circle at 100 yards Nine out out of ten. Nine out of ten times. That's awesome. Well, I learned everything that I did wrong when I learned to shoot, and I like to say I tried to correct it on her. Like she's never shot a big caliber gun. I'm pretty sure my dad started me with a 300 mag. Like I'm pretty sure he's like, (laughs) "You're eight, just shoot it. You're fine. No muzzle brake. Yeah, they're they're all these things. No hearing protection. Just go for it. Like they're all these things. No, we're we're doing we're doing everything because I want to be long term. What? Yeah. Anyway, she set up, and I remember this deer coming, and there's this little cow fence. And the doe has already crossed it in this, in, in this alfalfa field. And the buck turns, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, 10-point, you know, ruin it. But it ended up being a 135. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is it. Like, right. this is, I can't believe this, is, this could be her first year. But it's turned, and the wind is not ideal for us where this deer is. Right, okay. And you can tell, like, this deer would look at the doe, and he would start to relax. Like, his muscles would loosen up. I'm going to hop the fence. I'm going to go after this doe. All of a sudden, the wind would shift. He'd tense back up, and he'd stare at us. And you're like, ah, oh, he's not going to do right. it. And he relaxed. And you're like, and it's a quartering two shot. I'm like, kiddo, you remember where to shoot it? Right on the shoulder, right? And she's like, yeah. And I'm just like, I just want him just, just hop the fence. Just hop the fence. And I'm looking through my binos. I'm like, he's going to take off. And I go, okay, kiddo, go. And I was like, one of those things I was expecting a little pause. No, it was just instant. Like, Love bang, it. bang. <laughs> so I, I'm thrown off. I don't have the binos. I look out the window. I'm like, deer's running away. Camera guy's like, hit, but not sure where. Here's where dad takes over. I'm like, deer's hit. We're getting this thing. Grab the daughter, grab the gun from my daughter, rack the other one in. I'm leaning out 
the blind now at this point <laughs> as the deer run through and I let her go and I'm like, ah, got it on that one. Yeah. And it felt like it felt good. And Grant, my camera guy's like, man, it, it, it like you heard the hit on the second one, but it sounded weird. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So we're not sure where, where Michelle, my daughter, I'm not sure where Shelly got it, yeah. but I'm pretty sure I got it. And I am complete. I'm lost at this point because we like we got an hour left. So you got to do the recreate from the blind. You got to get all that stuff while the lighting's the same. And you got to hurry because you got an hour to get. If the deer's dead, you got to get pictures before it gets dark. Right. So now's the, the pressure. I just rush out of the blind. Grant's sitting there like, you got to come back. We got to do this. I'm like, not now. We'll do it tomorrow. Right. If we're going to get there, we're going to get Shelly's deer. I go blowing way past where the deer was standing by like 75 yards. I'm looking <laughs> in the wrong complete area. I'm yelling at my camera guy like. Show me the footage. I know she hit it. I'm like, okay. And now I'm losing light. After 15 minutes, I finally start to get my senses back. And I look at the camera footage. I look. I go back to where the deer's at. And I can see the ground's all scuffed up. But at the angle, the bullet never went all the way through. So I find this little bit of hair and I find the scuff up. But then all of a sudden, I go, all right. Now we're following through. Where did I shoot? And the deer hadn't gone 50 yards. Okay. And I'm a, I'm a static. Then a briar patch. I'm like, oh, my gosh. One, one thing set up. I pull it up. And it's got one horn on it. And I'm like, what no. the? What just happened? And I look at Grant and his eyes. You shot the horn off. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I did. I shot the horn off. <laughs> so we backtrack wow. and we find the horn. So if you look at the pictures of me with my daughter, I'm always holding the right beam because I'm literally holding the beam on, trying to make it look like I did not shoot my daughter's first deer horn off. <laughs> So she leads every story in hunting with my dad shot the horn off. <laughs> that is a great story. Wow. It did, it how, now, now, how was her hit on it? It was perfect. She drilled it. It was, it was dead <laughs> on its feet. I couldn't have, if I took a, a Sharpie marker, I couldn't have walked up to the deer and put it in a better spot. Than Love she did. that. It was, it was just, we were using a low caliber bullet. It's right. not, it's, it's not like a seven mag. It's not going to, the deer's not going to react. And I, I was just like, you go back to hunting with your kids. Like all senses go out. Yeah, you're you're you're, you're, you're just it's playing. completely gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get way more nervous, and you. I, I even when I take my daughter bow hunting with me, like if a deer's coming, I I'm like shaking like a leaf, even if it's a doe, because oh. I'm like, man, this could be it. We're getting a deer together. You know, this is gonna be awesome. Like a light sweat starts. It is. <laughs> no, it's, exactly. It's yeah. Well, that that brings up a good point. Do you often have people coming to? To, to you saying, hey, you know, I want to go on a guided hunt and I'm bringing my, my kit with me. Mm -hmm. um, do you, you must go about that very differently. We do. We do. And that's uh, that's really one of, one of the funnest things that we can set up is that parent-child hunt. And yeah. I don't say, say father-son anymore. Right. Because right. We've, got, we've, got a, we've got a lot of moms and daughters that we book now, yeah, which is cool. even, like, I look at that, that's even better. Yeah. So one of the things we do at WTA, we do tag applications across the Western states for guys that are looking, looking to apply or, or draw tags in limited entry areas. We do kids apply free. So if you're under 18, you come to us, it's free service. I do as much in all my camps as I can to try to encourage youth into the field. So we do youth discounted hunts in Saskatchewan oh, and Kentucky. Cool. We, do, we, we, do that, we do that stuff all over the place because that's the age and there's just so much for kids to do now. Like I've got a, my, my youngest is now 10. So I've got a 14 year old, a 12 year old and a 10 year old. And they just have like, they have the world of choices to do now. That I never had when I was there and all my kids are in sports or dance. So they're busy. Like I live and breathe the hunting industry. If I can get my kids outside with me hunting for eight to 12 days a year, 
that is very good because basketball season's going on. Right. We got soccer season. We've got dance that's 14 months a year. Like dance is crazy. I don't know if you guys got any kids in dance. We, that's, we that's did a ballet. Level. We did ballet for one season, and man, they they're just they're so intense oh, it, about it. Wait till you get a uh, if you had a 12 year old girl that's in oh. full time dance. It's like it, it's a 60 hour a week thing. Yeah. Like it's crazy. <laughs> Oh man, so the 12, 12 year old? I can't even imagine that. Jared, how old is your daughter? Three. Oh boy. Nine yeah. years to go. Yeah, I know. Prepare. <laughs> but no, when we when we get parents that's looking to come with a child, it's it's the same type of questions. Obviously, we ask and we like we'd like this to be, but you're gonna sit with your child. So obviously, the success rate for the parent goes down. Like if you're going deer hunting because you're gonna sit with your child and you book a you book two hunters there's a there's a chance of lower success because you're sitting together you're not separated everybody usually already knows that assumes that a few people like that completely catches them off guard like i don't don't know why but we always say that now we're going to look at we're going to limit that the number of outfitters we have down to really what i would consider family friendly camps like some outfitting camps are a little on the rougher side right right not gonna not i'm I'm not gonna send somebody in there like if it's a smaller lodge like the hunting's really great but it's a smaller lodge and the accommodations aren't the best. I'm not going to send a kid in there because it's, they're not going to have a, a overall great experience. So we've got different lodges that we work with and guides and outfitters that are truly amazing with kids in the field. Like that's where we're going to zone in. That's where we're going to send the parent and child hunters. Usually it starts with deer is the number one thing. Like everybody wants to bring their kid deer hunting, right. but we get a ton of people that want to bring their kids turkey hunting. And that's truly turkey hunting. Like what's the, I always get asked, what's the best thing that I could do on an outfitted trip that I could bring my child with? Because it's a bonding experience now. It's it's father and son or father and daughter. With like that combination, we're going to go away for three to five days, just the two of us, which is very rare in today's world mm-hmm. that you get that one-on-one time. And like, there's some great bonding that happens in a deer blind and turkey hunting. Like you get like all this. So I always go back like, what's the what's the best outfitted trip I could bring a bring a child on? Obviously, based on experience and so forth. But if it's a brand new hunter, bring them turkey hunt. Yeah, because yeah. you, you'll get you'll get multiple opportunities and you get to move. It's not like you're yep. sitting in a deer blind for ten hours. Like that's just it's very tough to find a child that wants to go and sit in a deer blind for ten hours right. as one of the first things they do. So go turkey hunting. You know what? You get up early. Yeah, that part's kind of tough on a kid. But then all of a sudden you got a turkey gobbling and it, and their heart rate's going and oh, they mess yeah. up. So what? You move on to the next one. It it doesn't really matter. You move on to the next one. What happens if they mess up again? You move on to the next one. You always got another spot that you can go. Like that's just repeat. Like I always like to say waterfall is another good one because you're stationary and you get multiple opportunities. But a lot of times with the waterfall, if it's a younger child, they struggle when they move the gun. Unlike a turkey, you can kind of help them where, where they sit in between your legs and you can help them get set up for that one shot versus multiple. Yep. Yeah, I oh, it's turkey season. I, I I've been thinking a lot about turkey lately too. This these late winter months. Holy mm-hmm. cow! I cannot wait for that. It is coming. So it sounds like I mean the beautiful thing that you guys offer is this consultation piece where you know mm-hmm. if for the average guy, Jared and I uh, included. I think I'm above know, average. In right, certain, you don't need to in certain categorize ways, me yeah, about. sure, sure. Above average Jared, guys like Jared, uh, and average guys like me. It, it's just like there's so. Much, it's just like where do you even start? And it just sounds like the cool thing about about you guys is you just give you a call and and like there's somebody there that's kind of walking you through this entire process, which uh, like like you've you've shown so far. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, and, and the beauty thing about our our service for 
the traditional booking with an outfitter is our service. There is no markup in our service. We right. work with the outfitters. It's kind of like outfitters have to go to a show. So they have costs and so forth associated with that. Sure. They have, there's a cost associated with no matter however you sell. We're very lucky that we work with some of the best outfitters there are in the world and they trust us and go, you know what? I'd rather have you because at the same time you're sending us the right clients versus us casting this broad net exactly. out and getting clients into us. So it's, it's a win-win because we we have to look out for the outfitters at the same time. Yeah. So there's no there's no markup, and we're giving you years of experience. So how we break down in our office, we've got different people. So if you're looking for a Western big game hunt, we've got three to four specialists. If you're looking for upland fishing, waterfowl, like we've got specialists. I've got two of the best. I guarantee you, the best international consultants that there are. Especially when, it, especially when it comes to Africa. One of the first international destinations that people want to go to is Africa because it's got, it's got this war to it. Right. So, Tim, Tim, I don't know if you guys have heard of Tim Harold. Tim Harold's been around the hunting industry, mm-hmm. not, to age, not to age the guy, but pushing 30 years. Like He's been to Africa more times than anybody else I know. He's been in the camps. He knows the, he knows the pHs. Like, when you look at somebody that's looking to book their first trip, like I can't think of a better guy to send than Tim. And this and it's weird because I grew up watching Tim on TV. Right. And now he's one now he's one of the consultants here. And like I, I was texting him today on, on getting some chamois hunters into France. And I'm like, I can't believe that Tim is the one I'm working with to get these guys lined <laughs> yeah. up. Like this is a dream for me. Yeah, that's really cool. For you know and, and you know, Mark, thanks thanks for taking the time today. Uh for, for someone who wants to get started, how should they get a hold of you and how how, how should you know how, how do they go about doing something like that? Yeah, that's one like we spend a lot of time on our website at WTA because there's so many different options. Yeah. So if you, if you had the worldwide trophy adventures website, we've obviously got our phone number on there, but it's got one of the best selections of different types of hunt broken down by either area or species. Like yeah. it'll give you, it'll give somebody a good idea before they call because they can scroll and they can look at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of places to go and go, you know what? Mm-hmm. I like something about that one clicks. Right. Like I, I read the description, like that's the type of hunting I want to do. That's the type of lodge. And that helps tremendously because if you come with three to four of those options, when you're calling the consultants, like we get a pretty good idea or a picture of what would be perfect for you. Right. Paint the picture of kind of what they're hoping for and then, and then help them kind of, that's really cool. Like as, as the guys are talking to them on the phone and maybe something like, man, I really want to do this. And we'll be talking on the phone and we'll catch you on. Maybe this one would be better. Like hearing everything that you say, I think this one may be better. And we'll just toss that option your way to see if that would be one that would fit you. If not, perfect. Let's go with what you look for. Yeah, awesome. Well, Mark, thanks for coming on. Well, for everybody that's following, check them out on Instagram. Check out WTA and, and all that they do. And yeah, like I said, thank you for, for taking the time today. Oh, thanks, guys. All right. Well, we'll so see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. Be sure to head over to wherever you're listening to this podcast and give us a subscribe and maybe a friendly review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Till then, if you want to follow us along on our Instagram page, it's Boga Hunting. Thanks again.